right? Um, so Bobby leads our JET ministry, um, which is a big ministry. It's got a lot of different things in it. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed walking with you the last couple of years, Bobby. It is a pleasure to lead alongside of you. So Bobby is a, a, a Navy veteran. Bro, I'm going to pray. Uh, in the name of Jesus, we just ask over Bobby a spirit of grace. Uh, Lord, we do uh, say, would you bring the word through him to us this morning so that we would encounter you in a fresh way? We love you, Lord. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. Rivalries. I'm sure we're all familiar with rivalries. Right? I think some people here might have gone to Boston College or maybe Boston University. I know I, I, went, I spent a little bit of time at BC and, and Lux. I'm sorry, you, you spent some time at BU. I, I'd, I'd say there's, there's, a, there's a college football rivalry, but all BU has is a statue now. They don't have a team, uh, so. <laughs> but uh, honestly, though, really, I, I think the rivalry, the college football rivalry that means the most to me is Army-Navy. Uh, I went to the Navy for undergrad, and I could talk to you for hours about that rivalry, but the pinnacle moment is the football game at the end of the season in December, and it is just an incredible opportunity because the entire school have to go on both sides is at the game cheering on. And in fact, you show up and you have to go, right? You, you are legally ordered to be there, uh, although I don't know anybody who wouldn't want to be there. And when you get there, you, you feel an obligation of sorts because you're like, well, I'm not going to just be here and not cheer, right? I'm going to cheer on this team. I'm going to maybe make a difference. But ultimately, you know that the outcome is not up to your own cheering. Um, maybe there's a psychological component of it, but ultimately the outcome is based on the decisions of the people on the field. It's not up to you. You do all you can to support, but it's, it's not up to you. Uh, that's the framework that I want to use for our discussion today. When we have opportunities, they present obligations. But ultimately, the outcomes are not up to us. We're going through Romans. In fact, if we can get the verses up here, uh, we're going to be talking about Romans 1, verses 8 through 17 today. I'm going to pull them up on my phone. I should have this prepped. Okay. And in the context of Romans, Paul, the author of this letter, is discussing his relationship with the audience. At the beginning, in the first few verses, he, he talks about who he is, what his resume is. And then in these verses, he says, this is how we're connected. And then after that, he dives into the meat, he dives into the body of the message, talking about all sorts of Christian challenges, theological intrigues. But right now, we're just talking about this connection, these few verses. So I'll read through them. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may be, impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware. 
brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This section of Romans is Paul capitalizing on an opportunity. He says, I have an opportunity because I have a relationship with these people. I'm going to write a letter and try to give them a blessing. He calls it a spiritual gift, something he wants to bless these people with. In verse 16, he mentions something interesting. He says, salvation comes first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. What does that mean? Why is he bringing this up? That seems kind of divisive. Well, actually, Paul is talking about history. You see, the Jews were selected as God's chosen people, not because they were just better than everybody else, but because God wanted to create a light in the darkness. He wanted to have a select group of people to represent him in all of humanity. Of course, if you continue reading the Old Testament after that promise to Abram, you see that time and time again, the Jewish people reject God. They turn away from God, yet God stays faithful. God holds his promise. He keeps up his end of the bargain. And that eventually leads to the point when Jesus dies on the cross and the physical veil is torn in two, allowing God's presence to be not just with the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now we can have a relationship, and it might echo the same things that the Jews lived out in the Old Testament. We might turn away from God. We might say, God, I'm not following you today, but he will remain. He will keep his promise, and that's what we have. That's what Paul is trying to do here. But historically speaking, the Jews and the Gentiles were separate. There's a cultural difference between these people. And so in this sentence, in verse 16, Paul is not saying, oh, look at the separate groups, Jews and Gentiles. No, he's actually being radically unifying in this. He's saying, salvation's coming to everybody. Paul was intimately familiar with this divide. If we look back in Acts, just a few chapters before this letter is written, we see in chapter 22... Starting in verse 3, Paul says to a crowd of Jews in Jerusalem, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Paul was a Jew. He was trained as a Pharisee. He understood the inner workings of scriptures, the complexities of the Jewish law. Within that, he had an opportunity. You see, if you look at the rest of the epistles, which is a fancy word for the rest of the letters that Paul wrote throughout the New Testament, you see that Old Testament law is interwoven into the gospel story. 
These are not separate things. We look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, but it is one book, the Holy Bible, one story of God loving us and how we can continue to share that love with each other. Paul used this opportunity, this skill, this capability he had. Now, Paul gets to the end of this speech to the Jews, and he starts saying, The Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. As soon as he said this, the crowd raised their voices. They said, This guy doesn't deserve to live. You see, there was a divide. It wasn't just a divide that God had said, you are a select people separate from the Gentiles. The Jews were also being oppressed by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was controlling a good portion of the world at the time. And so the Jews might have seen this as a betrayal, saying, you're really going to allow salvation to come not just to us? Like, that's what we've got. That's what's going for us. And you're going to say, oh, no, let's give it to the people who are oppressing us as well. And that would have gotten Paul into some serious trouble, some real danger. In fact, Paul had witnessed the martyrdom of Stephen, another person who had said something similar to the Jews. But Paul had an ace up his sleeve. You see, Paul was a Roman citizen. And so when they were about to flog him, he said, hold up. Is it lawful for you to do this to me without me being found guilty? And they do some back-checking. They're like, what? What's going on? The commander eventually comes up to him. He's like, is it true you're a Roman citizen? He says, yeah, I am. Paul utilizes the opportunity he has with the position that he has been given from birth. Had absolutely nothing to do with anything he did. But he nonetheless had this opportunity. So he said, I'm going to use this for Christ. I'm going to use this to share the gospel. I know I can be protected vis-a-vis -vis my message. The gospel message can be protected because of this ability I have. And then within that, he ends up being imprisoned. And it's, it's great that he's able to preach to the different courts and the rulers who he talks to in, in his hearings. Um, but ultimately, the capabilities he has run out. Right? He is limited in his ability. He can't escape the law, even though he's protected under the law. And so the outcomes of his ministry are not dependent upon him. He mentions in that first chapter of Romans that there's things that have been preventing him from coming to the Romans. He understands that he's got to pray. He's got to ask God to move. You see, grace is not just essential to the gospel story because our sins are forgiven. Grace continues to be essential to the gospel because we need grace to even share that message. We need God to move just to be able to tell other people about his love, just to share his love. We don't know if people are going to always accept it. We need God to move in people's hearts. We need God's grace. I want to tell you about somebody who uh, I've witnessed, who is similar to Paul. I met this individual on a trip, went to North Africa with some other college uh, friends, and 
we were visiting this, this missionary group. One of these missionaries was named Aaron. And Aaron had chosen to utilize the opportunity he had. You see, he was another student from the Naval Academy, and he knew that once he graduated, the government was going to control his life. That's what you sign up for. There's a lot of awesome opportunities. There's great things you can do. But ultimately, the government gets to say, you're going here, and you do it. He knew that was going to happen the day he graduated. So instead of saying, well, we'll just see what happens, he decided after his sophomore year of college to take a two-year break and go be a missionary overseas. He was capitalizing on the opportunity that he had as a young single guy with no obligations. And he said, you know what, I'm going to go. And in fact, I shouldn't say he didn't have any obligations because he did. He had the obligation to preach. He had the obligation to love. He had the obligation to share the gospel. He did not take advantage of the opportunity for his own gain, but for the gain for Christ. And after those two years, he came back, he did graduate, and he went into the Navy Special Operations Training Pipeline as a Navy Explosive Ordnance Disposal Officer. Of course, that's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of scuba diving and tests where you got to memorize all sorts of things, which wire to cut, which wire not to cut. Oversimplified, but you get the point. <laughs> and which is an amazing sacrifice that he, he had committed to in and of itself. But he understood that his obligation wasn't just a future obligation. He wasn't just going to lay down his life, potentially, if something gets really dangerous in the future, because that very well could happen. It's a dangerous job. But he saw it as a present obligation. So during his training, he welcomed people in. He showed love to other people. There were some allied militaries who sent members to train with him, and so um, some South Koreans were with him in his dive school class. And he welcomed them in. He loved them. He was hospitable towards them. No one told him he had to. That was not a military order. But he felt the obligation because he had the opportunity. Later on, he goes into EOD school where he's taking those tests I told you about. And he's not just focusing on his own passing, which passing is a tough thing. But he's also tutoring other people. He's got a great brain. He's, he's a smart guy. And so he's using the opportunity to love those around him. And there's further opportunities that he had and he used for God's glory. And I could go on and on. But I don't have time for all of that today. But ultimately, the outcomes of his ministry were not entirely up to him. On Easter this year, Aaron died in a military training accident. He was 30. That was devastating. And I recognize that there's nothing I could do to change that. 
but I also knew that I needed to recognize the opportunities I had. So a few weeks later, when another Naval Academy guy called me up, even though it was late on a Saturday night, it might have been after midnight, I can't remember, he called me up and I knew he was struggling with some stuff and so I picked up the phone. I can't remember what we were watching on Netflix, but uh, I was like, this can wait. I'll, I'm going to talk to this guy. Talked with him for half an hour, maybe it was an hour. Um, I was like, this is awesome. Man, I'm, I'm glad I, I was able to use this opportunity to love this guy. And he, he'd been going through some stressful stuff earlier in the year, and so I was encouraged. I was glad I was able to fulfill what I felt like was my obligation to, to love him in that um, Carlos was the guy who called me. And then 10 days after that phone call, I got another phone call from another friend finding out that Carlos had taken his own life. Despite the fact that I had opportunities, despite the fact that I felt like I was fulfilling my obligation, the outcomes of my ministry were not entirely dependent upon me. I've experienced some rough stuff this year, and unfortunately, it's not the first time. And I can't with confidence say it's going to be the last. But I know that I am going to use the opportunities I have when I have them because I have an obligation to love. There's a lot of things I feel like I, I need. Um, but let me tell you what I don't need. Let me tell you about the scream, the terror, the terrible scene, the cry of a mother praying it's a bad dream. That's something I don't need to do again. The visible payment of the wages of sin. That's a memory that will never leave my mind. A burden I'll carry with me the rest of my life. I think surely there was something I could do. If I'd done one thing differently, what might have ensued? We know what happens when I assume. But even if the guilt is a lie, the pain is still true. That kind of pain. That visceral, awful pain. It leaves a mark. It leaves a stain. I don't know what difference I might have made. Pain. There's no pain like a mother burying her dead son. I cannot even fathom it, yet I felt it time and time again. Burial after burial after burial, there is pain. I want to have hope. I hope to be bright, a light in the darkness of the darkest night. I want to show love. I would love to give peace. But with so many brokenness, broken pieces, I can't pick up everything. What could I possibly offer to a mother in such pain? Sisters and brothers, we will raise a glass to the ways that fallen warrior gave their life every day. Let's honor a son's memory. And we'll live knowing we have the burden of loving in the absence of a man who gave so much to all of us. But I know we could never make up for that loss. Too often I struggle just to carry my own cross. What can I do? What can I say? 
I can have understanding, prophesy, and praise God's name. I can perform what some might call miracles. But if I have not love, I'll still feel terrible. Where does the love come from? Certainly not from me. I do have love, but no, I could never be. At least, I could never generate that much love. It must come from somewhere else, from someone up above. I'm here to tell you the answer is Jesus. Exhaust yourself. Give all you've got and be a great believer. Learn scripture, apologetics, and spiritual truths. Know that fruit comes from the branches, but living water from the roots. So write God's word on your heart. Bind verses to your soul. Make God's truth the missing piece you use to make you whole. And in doing so, seize the opportunity. Commit yourself to building unity in your job, in your home, throughout your community, on the bus, on the plane, at the store, in the park. When life is sunshine and rainbows, when life's struggles make life dark, use your position to love others. The power you have to be a sister or a brother, you can call it ministry, I'm calling it love. If you need a definition, then you can look it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Read that passage and you'll see what I mean. I'm calling you to act, to perfect your craft. Your craft, your mission is to love, and that's that. Love God, love others, share life, share Jesus. Then after you have given everything, push yourself to the limit. Thank God for the opportunity just to be in it. And when you do that, acknowledge whether you were raised in the faith and went to Bible college or you're still figuring it out and your faith isn't solid, there's something true for all of us, but you can't do it on your own. All the willpower in the world, but you can't go alone. Truth that the peak of faith, the best of life as a Christian, is not simply grace for when we don't feel like listening. You've been called to dream dreams and to see visions. There is a burden I can never carry. I can't love enough to make up for my brothers and sisters buried but my loss, my failures, my rejection are not always a reflection of a wrong turn, of needing a course correction. We need God. We need grace. God, help us. Save us. Help us give all we've got. Lord, work in ways when we cannot. Jesus said we do some amazing things. And we ain't doing that without the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, it's time to move. If I can invite the band up. There's a lot that we can't do. In fact, there's a lot we should not even try to do because if we try to be God, then we're, we're going to fail. But I'm telling you, there are things we can do. There are ways we can be equipped so that we can seize those opportunities to love others. You don't have to have the Bible memorized to tell other people about it. But it's really hard to tell people about something if you've never read it. You don't need to be raising people from the dead. But you can take a first step. You can love your neighbor as yourself. 
everything else. You just got to give it up to God. You pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity today to talk about your love. Thank you about, thank you for the fact that you have given your grace, God. Not just on the cross, but daily we have your grace. I ask that we be filled up. I ask that the volunteers today who we celebrate and we honor at the potluck, God, I ask that they remember that they took the opportunity they had to serve. God, and I pray for the next line of people who serves, the next group of volunteers who serves. God, that they would take the opportunity to love you, to glorify you, and to love the people around them. But ultimately, God, we know that our stats, our accomplishments, our achievements are not what you're asking for, but you're asking for submission to you, God. And we pray that we can submit our hearts to you, that you would move, that our efforts would not be in vain, but that the love we give would be for your gain. In Jesus, in your name.